welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Raj Pal Singh also known as the hipster yogi. Raj has been a kundalini practitioner and instructor for over 10 years. In today's episode, we are talking about personal sovereignty, what it means to Raj personally, and also how he is encouraging his clients to dial into their own version of personal sovereignty. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Raj, welcome to the Hadassah Collective. I'm so excited to have you on board today to talk about maintaining your personal sovereignty and how you do that in your own personal practice and how you guide others um, at Sky Yoga to do that. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here, Claire. Pleasure to be here doing this podcast with you and I hope uh, somehow we can bring some of this idea of personal sovereignty out in this podcast so that whoever listens to it kind of understands what it means to be sovereign at the very basic individual level and how to take ownership of that to build themselves. Yeah, beautiful. I love it. I love this. Um, I love this topic, um, especially right now, especially during this year, I think has been so interesting. And I think that it's um, really a time that we all need to be able to tap into our personal sovereignty and have an understanding of what that is and what it feels like um, rather than just on an intellectual level. So yeah, super excited to have this conversation with you. So why don't we start off by you just giving us a brief overview of who you are, what you do, where you are, and um, we'll start from there. Well, I live in Bangkok, Thailand. I'll start with that. Uh, I grew up here. I'm a Thai Sikh. I'm a Thai Indian. Um, As a kid, I went to international schools, actually, throughout. Um, So kind of lived in this little bubble here, being Punjabi, being Indian, being being Sikh, uh, going to Gurdwara, you know, having that constant feeling of being an outsider and a minority in in a primarily, you know, very Thai and very Buddhist city and country. Um, So that was very interesting that I had that perspective of being a Sikh in the Buddhist country, going to an international and primary, primarily Christian schooling. So, mm-hmm. Wow, you're getting I, a whole mix. Right. So I, I actually went to to um, Seventh-day Adventist school I, as a young adult. Uh, prior to that, I was at another school called Trail Preparatory. Um, and, and, you know, to, to suddenly, you have to read the Bible when you get to the Seventh-day Adventist school. And then moving from there to the, um, the uh, very conservative back then, Romudi International School, probably the most conservative of all the schools. That was a Catholic-based, Catholic-run school. So you can say that I was always around this idea of Western religion in my schooling. 
and very personal practice of being Sikh in my family and my community and being around this whole energy of Buddhism, you know, which is what Thailand really is. Um, and, and after that, I went to college in the U.S. So tell me about, um, so you're, you're a Kundalini Yoga practitioner for over 11 years yeah. and um, yeah. you're the founder of Sky Yoga. And so yeah. the Kundalini Yoga practice, a lot of the mantras and th things like that are actually Sikh-based or in Gurmukhi and things like that. Yeah. So do you think that that inf your childhood influenced your, your career path or... Um, was it sort of two completely separate things? Uh, I think it very much did. Um, so, I mean, to... to you had to, an immediate to, connection to the, to the practice. Correct. To build into this, um, I want to say that I got into yoga, not because, or kundalini yoga, because of a spiritual yearning. Um, if I were to say that, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Um, I got into it because I'd injured myself uh, playing soccer, actually. I kind of fell down really hard on my back, and I was in a lot of pain. And I was taking medi medication. I was taking arcoxia and this medicine called norgasic. And every so often, they would give me some nerve num numbing medicine, whose name I can't remember. And, um, and I remember taking these and, and feeling like a loss of self. Like, I, I was unable to really feel connected. All I ever felt was sadness. Um, and I was somebody who loved playing sports, who loved going to the gym, and I couldn't do any of that. So I thought to myself, hey, what if I tried yoga? Because it's all stretching, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I went into yoga exactly with that mindset. Um, and then I got into yoga because I could move my body with yoga. So I started feeling really good. Um, and I went into Ashtang yoga. Um, I'm sure you you know Ashtanga yeah. Yoga. It's also where I started. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought to myself, hey, I don't mind doing teacher training in this because this was this became the only thing that I could do for physical movement. Yeah. And um, then I remembered being in the U.S. I went to college in the U.S. and I remember seeing these white Sikhs, you know, with with their white turbans and wearing all white. And I remember asking somebody about it. I remember asking my father about it on one of my summer holidays. And he told me that those things, they belong to this guy named Harbhajan Singh Yogi. And I remembered his name and I thought, oh, maybe I want to try that form of yoga just a couple of times to see if it vibes with me before I decide to do teacher training. And um, I went for my first class uh, uh, with, with Sundarta Kaur. Her name, her, her spiritual name, her, her real name is Sheila. Um, Sheila something, and she was teaching in Sukhumvit Soy 50. And I did my first Kundalini Yoga class with her. We did a whole bunch of breath, um, and we chanted. And oh my god, I grew up chanting seed chants. Never before I felt the vibrations of a chant as I did after working my breath and my body. And I was terrified. I stayed away from Kundalini Yoga for, for two months. <laughs> and then you and then you got sucked back in because you can't, it does have a definite draw, I think. And I do think that that is the interesting thing with Kundalini Yoga is this aspect of spirituality, but also there needs to be a space, especially in our world, the way that we live and the way our nervous system is under so much pressure. We need to understand that we need to 
create an atmosphere to receive from the divine. You know, we need to condition our body in a certain way and we need to, you know, move the flow of energy within our body. And by doing that with the breath and then adding in the, the chanting, I think it just, um, it, you know, you've prepared that atmosphere right. beforehand. I mean, when, when, when you work out, um, you know, your body, like you don't, you don't go day one into like, uh, or, or I'm, I'm gonna use the example of running a marathon. When, when, you, when you wanna run a marathon, right? You don't just go buy a new pair of sneakers and go out on the road and be like, 48 kilometers, here I come. I come, <laughs> you know? You have to start somewhere, especially if you've never run before. And, yeah. and you gotta start by training little by little and developing, you know, and then learning techniques and tricks. And I think many people mistake this. They think a spiritual practice will just come to you. But mm. you've got nine body gates, right? right? You, yeah. You've got, you know, your elimination gates. You've got your sexual gate. You've got, you know, your mouth, your ears, your nose, your eyes. You're looking at things, hearing things, speaking or eating something and breathing. And these, these gates need to be cleared up. We can talk about, you know, chakras or whatever, but at the base level are these gates. You have to control what goes in and what goes out. And that's, that's an ongoing process, right? It's, yeah. it's not there in day one. And I think when you work out your body, especially in a yogi practice, you start to change your diet. You start to feel and you start to understand what's happening in your body a bit more. Well, actually a lot more. And then you start to feel this spirituality or this feeling come inside you. The vibration inside you kind of tunes into the vibration of the cosmos. And when you get that feeling, it's, it's at, at the start level, it's a high, right? Because it's something new, you feel great, your brain releases lots of dopamine. And for that moment, you feel, wow. And if you treat it that way, it's also dangerous because that is the point when, if you don't have your sovereignty with you, right? You will just enter a new funnel system. You will just move from the the escape of, of yourself in one place where you don't own yourself, you know, through, because we don't really fully own ourselves at any given point, right? We're, we're always acting on our perceptions. So you come into this new high and then somebody new will manipulate you. We just move from one manipulation to another. To escape this, which is where I hope we will get into, is to start to understand the self and how we perceive. And that's a big part of everything I do when I talk about yoga, when we do our classes here. And it's, it's also why we don't, we, we still do it by donations for now, for the public classes. Um, other things are other things, but to keep it this way, we are able to pass on this idea that you are the individual with choice. And you get to choose where you wanna go. When you start to understand that, with the spiritual backing, with the strength built up from yoga, it takes you to a different place. And that's the start of being sovereign and knowing where your borders are, you know? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. Um, that experience as well, when you first, you know, initially begin to tap into this, I actually see it as, you know, you already have this within you. And it's right. actually a process of sort of removing and clearing away the things that are blocking that. 
you know, Correct. from that experience that is blocking you from from tapping into the um, the energy of the cosmos, as you so beautifully put it, you know? So I Correct. think um, this is an interesting thing we can talk about actually in terms of Kundalini Yoga, because sometimes people are a little scared of it and they think that it's really dangerous. And I think it definitely is a powerful practice and needs to be treated with some reverence. But I yep. also have, you know, people have this idea that you suddenly sit down and you, you chant for a little bit and suddenly you're gonna have this like massive explosion or, you know, of Kundalini energy. And I mean, that's how someone described it to me when I first did Kundalini yoga and they were first like they were trying to put me off it and they were like oh but it's you know this energy that comes up through the spine and then it blasts in your brain and i was like this sounds amazing you know <laughs> and it's actually not really how it goes you know and i think right. that that is part of the conditioning of the body understanding the breath and being able to clear those channels so that you can have a freer experience i think it's unlikely right. to have that on your first ever attempt at Kundalini Yoga. <laughs> yes. Um, so tell me about um, any dark, like um, dark nights of the soul, any um, challenging moments in your life that you've experienced and how your practice has helped you navigate through those moments. Well, dark parts, do you know what? The truth is, I don't think, I don't think at any given point we actually go over our dark parts. Um, I think I think we are always living in this. I, I would want to say almost duality, because we have to understand that as a human being, we have loads of impulses. When just by doing yoga or meditation or having a strong spiritual practice, it's not going to suddenly make you not feel angry. You just learn to channel it in a way that suits you more. You just learn to realize, you know, the, the, the choice of not acting is a choice. And when you take ownership of not acting or doing something different, uh, and, you know, and there's many ways to go with anger. Anger is something that you flow with, not fully flow with. You know, um, I'm gonna say it in, in I think as a metaphor, which is easier, I think when it comes to anger or darkness, imagine a rushing river. That's how our emotions are acting at that point. They're just rushing, right? We feel angry, we feel fearful. We, we might not like a particular thing or situation. And that emotion rushes through us. Sometimes it's a dark emotion. Now, if you're always gonna go with the flow for these emotions, you're just gonna be drowned over because then you're acting in these ways and you're no longer experiencing the emotion, you're becoming the emotion. Does, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. that's a good um, definition so, of that. So actually. as a person, as an individual, you learn to navigate through these. And, and that's what happens. I don't feel darkness leaves me, um, but I can tell you that I have been in very dark places, especially since starting this type of yoga and this type of meditation and moving away from what was my life to what is my life because it required letting go of a lot of things. Um, it, it also ended up being situations where light was shined on yourself 
or myself in this case, and I came to know that maybe I wasn't really necessarily the good guy that I thought I was in a lot of situations. You know, do you have an example of that? A, a time, um, a time in your life that that was particularly evident, and you realized that the way that you would normally react to it was maybe not the healthiest way, and so then you made a conscious choice to to step out of that. How did you do you that? Know, I don't really have a single explanation or a single story to tell about that, but I would like to say that without knowing it, I had been gaslighting some people who, if they didn't behave in a certain way that I liked, and I would maybe put emotional burden on them to kind of act in a way that would please me. Um, and, and I caught myself doing it. But there wasn't like that one single like life-changing moment. It's just I caught myself feeling it and doing it after the fact and being like, oh, oh, hmm. And then starting to slowly, you know, glean myself or lean myself away from behaviors like that. Um, to, you know, it's, it's just awareness, really. Um, and, and then also I realized how many times that that was happening to me as well. Like we live in a world where we just gaslight others and others gaslight us and we're all living in this sort of guilt going back and forth. And in that situation, we don't own ourselves, you know? We're, we're, just, we're just acting out of fear, or out of something else. Um, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. The, the, to stop the projection is is to be yeah. able to you know step away from something even if it's painful and be able to observe your own role in creating that situation i think that that's Correct. sort of how you kind of step back and reclaim your power in those spaces but Correct. um yeah so mindfulness um how do you are there any particular practices that you tap into for that and what what has sort of supported you in that awareness for mindfulness you mean, you mean like how I support myself to be mindful? Yeah, or even in terms of like when you notice yourself gaslighting, as you said, gaslighting someone else, yeah. or when you notice someone else gaslighting you, how do you respond to that in a different way? You know? hmm. This is a very good question and a very tough question. And, um, but I like, I like the honesty of the question and I like the toughness of it. Um, th there's no single technique. If you're looking for a technique or an answer, there, there's no single technique or single method. Everything comes from commitment. Everything comes from a commitment to yourself that you can and you are better than that situation. And when you get to that point, I mean, each different case where I may have gaslit somebody and then I looked at it from a different perspective and the approach, it depends on that person that you know, you're affecting and how you, you start to become more compassionate with language. You start to become more, there's a way to speak truth with compassion. And yeah. that comes from individual to individual through practice. I mean, there's nothing but daily practice, is there? It's, you have to give yourself the time in the day to move your body. You have to give time for yourself in the day to breathe different types of breath, whether it's, you know, long deep breathing or breath of fire. That, that just clears all the noise from the mind. Yeah. And then when you do that sort of stuff, then you get that ability to see the different perspective. Uh, you know, chanting, 
clears up the nervous system, anything that, that gets you to a zero point, that allows you to see something differently, allows you to see the same situation, but from a different angle. And, and that's the only way to go about it. Um, and a lot of it is understanding that wherever you are at any given moment is a result of the choices that you've made. And you have to take ownership for those choices. No more wah wah blaming here or wah wah blaming there, which is something I like to do. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I work with my family business. Um, mm -hmm. And I stepped away from it two years ago. Prior to stepping away from it two years ago, I spent six years, six years knowing I no longer cared about it, but didn't leave the business because I had somebody else to blame for staying there, be it my father, be it my grandfather, be it my cousin, whoever it was. I found somebody who would advise me not to leave, and then I would stay, and then I would blame them for it. But then I was also behaving like not so good, and they would blame me for it. And then it would go back and forth in this negative energy exchange sort of thing. You know, and, and I think stepping, realizing that I had a choice, which I cornered myself into saying, I don't have a choice. By saying I have a choice, and I, just, and I choose this, because this vibes totally with my truth. You know, and it's not about how somebody else might feel in that moment. You have to bring them to your page without gaslighting them, with, with letting them know that this is for the betterment of you know, everyone, the family, for any situation that you're gonna be in. That this is the path and this is the choice um, that I had to make. And, and I think that, that was a big step for me, I think, in, in, in life. Because I was in a very comfortable position with the family business. Um, yeah, it's a very low-risk space, I think. It's a... Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, especially and... Uh, if the family business is doing well and you can live really well financially, I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so what was it that made you, you know, t jump off that cliff and take that step out? Um, eventually, I think it was my own sanity. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, because I had stopped teaching yoga by that point, um, for two years. I, and, and I also stopped really practicing it. So I guess if, if I'm gonna be honest and say that I've been around Kundalini Yoga and yoga in general for 11 or 12 years, there's a period in there where I wasn't practicing and I wasn't doing my daily practice because it almost felt as though what I wanted in life was one thing, you know? Like, so, and, and here I am running away from my own life trying to go into different places that I wasn't it because I wasn't choosing that direction. So with that comes this idea, with that, when, when you don't have honesty in life, you immediately just stop doing everything. You don't work on yourself, so you actually become worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And where does this come into, I wanna touch on a point that you, a point that you touched on just a minute ago in regards to finding that zero point, that zero center. Um, how does that tie into personal sovereignty and you know, what is your definition of personal sovereignty? Okay. We are given about a billion stimuli like through our body, through our eyes, through ourselves at any given moment. 
So if you think of each individual or self as a body, right? What, what do I mean when I say the word body? Earth is a body, right? What keeps Earth safe from, the, from anything flying in the universe? And we have an atmosphere, don't we? Mm -hmm. Right, the atmosphere is loaded with gas. And if a meteor is going to come through Earth, it's got to go through the Earth's atmosphere. By the time it gets here, it's usually a very small rock or it's something that doesn't really hurt Earth in, in any major way. And only if you get a really large asteroid that comes from the outside and it breaks through Earth's atmosphere do we get a huge change as we did in the prehistoric era, or so we think that that's how dinosaurs went extinct, correct? Are you with me so far? Yep. The atmosphere of Earth protects the body of Earth from outside. The human body is a body. What does that mean? It means that we are formidable, right? We are, we are a bunch of single cells that have been put together throughout this journey of time from the start. You know, the single cell amoeba, we've all learned about that, to twin cells, to this, to that. You know, next thing you know, we've got protons, neutrons, electrons, we've got protein cells, we've got so many things working up, 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 up to where we are right now, where we are, and on the outside, we're, we're, we're covered by this cellulose sort of skin thing that's very soft. But on the inside, we've got this bone. Inside all these, there are veins, there's liquid, there's muscle mass, there's, you know, and, and all of that is run by our nostril, through our nose, feeding air into our oxygen and through our mouth where we feed foods and nutrients to keep this body going, right? Now that much we can all agree with. Yeah. The yeah. other thing we have, right, is our aura. Yeah. Our aura is our, you know, our atmosphere. Yeah. What we feed into it is how we feel. Now, this is not to say that just because you have a strong aura, nothing from the outside world is going to affect you. No, it just means that the stronger your aura, for something else to affect you, it's going to be big. You know what I mean? Just like the asteroid hitting Earth and getting rid of the, you know, the dinosaurs. I mean, it had to be huge. Um, likewise, when we take this sovereignty of ourselves, we, we, we're in a world that is forever trying to manipulate us, manipulate us to eat certain foods, you know, high fructose corn syrup, for example, and that industry, a Dorito. Um, we're, we're being constantly marketed to having things we don't really need. The want industry is, is incredible. At the same time, if you escape this world as is, and you, you know, choose to be a yogi and say, hey, I'm going to the mountains and I'm just gonna be by myself. Yes, that's a choice, but you're no longer adding to this world a different perspective because you've escaped, right? You're not building that aura to fight back this sort of, these, this sort of cacophony of, of noise that constantly comes at you at any given moment. And we fight that battle today. We fight that battle today with breath, with sound, and with discipline. That's what we do. That's what prana is. The idea that deep breath is your breath, and each breath is special, and working out your lungs to get that breath deeper and deeper and stronger. You work out your body because you have to be physically strong. I mean, you just, 
You, you just can't be a warrior if you're being fat and lazy physically. And that I learned. Um, believe me, I learned that. I was overweight. And I had my prana practice. I had my meditation practice. I never had my body practice. And it just doesn't work because you're weak. You're slow. You, you cannot be as fast without, without working out the body. And then there's sound. This, this, this sound vibration inside you that you've got to fight back with that sound. You've got to bring that sound right to your aura so that the noise, you know, that the space between the ears, this brain of ours and its two hemispheres, they are now working for us. And you get to see perspective all the time. You can feel two extreme emotions at the same time. Even when you're happy, you can, you can still feel your sadness inside. And when you're sad, you can feel that happiness, like that yin and yang sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and when you start to experience all of this, that's when you know that I am taking over my body, I am taking over myself. It doesn't mean that you're gonna run out and become a millionaire. Maybe you can if that's what your goal is in life, you know? But you start to own your life. And when you start to own your life, you're a sovereign person. Yeah, and a co stepping into that co-creation space. Yes, you are, you are playing with, um, you are playing with the creator. You start to understand that as the creator is moving on, you yourself with your aura, you start to co-create. You start to bring a new reality. And that's why I feel it's so important to, to not just practice this yoga, but to keep teaching it as well. Mm. Well, I think, um, I think I actually, your analogy is really interesting. And I heard sort of a similar analogy from Guru Singh as well yeah. in, in um, LA. And he was describing depression, like the actual, like the mechanics of depression. And he's basically like, the world is always pushing inwards. The world is always pushing on us. And so we need to keep our, um, keep pushing back on it. And how we do that is we strengthen ourselves from the inside so that we're pushing the world back and pushing out. And when you don't have that strength, that internal strength and that internal practice, that's when everything sort of closes, you know, um, collapses in and you become depressed. So that is the sort of like physical mechanics of depression. So I thought that that's, that's interesting about strengthening the aura and pushing back on um, the external influences. And I think that's more and more apparent as we move forward into the, I mean, we're, we say that we're in the information age, but I actually really think that we've moved out of that and we're in the age of misinformation. And um, there's so much information out there. We're always trying to figure everything out with our external mind. And so we're just taking in more and more information. And like you said, we're not really trained or have the capacity to be guarding those gates and really deciding what we're taking in and what we're believing and what we're aligning with. And so I think that's a really important part of maintaining a sovereignty is being able to listen to that inner voice within and um, deciding from there rather than allowing the, work, the world to just come caving in on us. I, I absolutely hear you. And, and we're living in the world of social media, right? So everybody can enter a rabbit hole and live in any fic. I mean, as is the world is fictional, 
if you really want to really think about it. Um, and, and if you want to know what I mean by that, I, I really suggest this book called Sapiens. Um, it's a fantastic read. I think the, the writer puts it really well on how this fictional world builds on itself. Um, <clears throat> for, for, for somebody reading it, it's, it's very interesting because it vibes with the teachings of older yogis or of Guru Nanak or of all these, you know, even writers from the old age that would say, you know, Maya is building upon Maya. You know, we, we build realities on top of realities. And, and so that's a fantastic book. I, I really love that book. Um, and that's something that I, I really enjoy. Uh, but I'm going to catch you on one thing that you said at the very end there, uh, Claire. You said, we can decide. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, we can choose. We can decide and we can choose what we what we um, align ourselves with. Are we going to align right. ourselves with the things of the world or do we align ourselves with that spark of divinity within us? That's my perspective on Correct. that. Absolutely right. But the world isn't so, you know, either or. I think this either or mindset comes, uh, it's, it's another one of those things that keep being sold to us in the pushdown. Well, you're either this or that either this or that. And I personally associate the word decide with having to choose one over the other. Um, and I don't feel a choice is necessarily one of two variables. I think that's, that's, that's something we feed into the matrix, if I may use that term. Um, I feel like the power of choice is to see both and yes, you decide in life. There, there's no such thing as never deciding because that, that's also never taking ownership. Um, but you look through and you make a choice. A decision is also a choice. Um, but sometimes decisions become the elimination of every other thing to make a decision. And we should be making fewer decisions and more choices. That's what I believe in. Um, because if you're deciding a lot of things, you're constantly eliminating out a lot of things. Like, you know, you got to decide what you want to do, kid. You know, it's something that I was told a lot. Like, have you decided what major you want to do? Have you decided this? And it feels like so much pressure, I think. And maybe in the future, we're going to do that to the new generation, right? Have you chosen what you want yet? You know, um, I'm not sure. But, but I feel like with choice, there's still a bit more of a flow to it. There's still a bit so, more of a, yeah, so your I'm attracted to this, and I go towards that, and I choose that over mm -hmm. any any other thing at the moment. My choice may change, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's more open for change than, well, I decided it, and now I got to do it no matter what. So your definition between, the difference between choice and decision is that the decision is, a, is something that's much more absolute, and um, whereas and something, something that you're deciding on, whereas choice is more that the options present themselves to you and you're selecting, you're going, you're flowing through those selections. Is that a, is that a better analogy? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that, that's, that, that's right. That's yeah. right. We, when we decide it's very absolute and when we choose, we basically flow to that. But that's not to say you don't decide in life. You've got a lot of decisions to make in life as well. Um, it's it's it nothing is absolute it's it's that's 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 one of the most things 
where where a person vibrates and the free, the limited or the maximum frequency of where they vibrate is limited to their perceptions. So somebody living a high fly life, you know, um, say Formula One life, you know, big car, beautiful house, beautiful family, may never have may never even in their lifetime suffer any hardship, and that's wonderful for them. But they also never get this chance to increase their perceptive abilities to something that is not them. And I think that's one thing that's missing most in this world, this idea to understand something that, understand a perspective that's not yours. And because we're constantly fed that what we're doing is the only right thing, you're either with us or you're against us, you're either here or you're not, you know, it, it creates these rabbit holes in social media that, that are very um, interesting where it goes because when when you reach at least what I hope is when people reach the logical conclusions of each rabbit hole they will wake up and that's something that I am very well I mean about. I have to disagree with you a little bit there that just because somebody yeah. does live a like you know materially um, expanded life that they don't have hardship. I think that hardship is actually a, a personal perception actually and is a personal um, experience in that sense because what is hardship to one may not be hardship to another or there are different um, experiences that could be deemed as hardship. And um, you know, there's also emotional <laughs> hardship or material hardship possibly. And, um, you know, I think that that's, a, that's quite a personal journey. But it actually does lead me into an interesting question for you. When we discussed earlier in terms of like, you know, to become a, an, like an enlightened yogi, a lot, the perception is very much that, oh, you know, you suddenly go out and, and live in the, the hills or the mountains and you meditate all day long. Whereas I actually, don't um, necessarily believe that. Like, I obviously don't think that it is completely necessary to become enlightened in that space. Yeah. But I also think that we are in a different time and place and we are in an age now which is being of service to the world and, and raising the vibration of the space and the sphere of influence that you currently have. And so the meditation and the yogic practice that we have, that we're conditioning ourselves with to be able to see from a different perspective, to sense things in a different way, and to really tap into the energetics of the cosmos, um, are also that's a, a part of your life that then feeds into where you've been placed as well in this world right. and in this life and right. to influence that space. So do you want to yeah. speak to that concept a little bit as well? Yeah, and, and I'm also going to get back to this um, earlier where I think uh, I may have not been very clear with what I was saying. I was saying you have people like that. I didn't mean that everybody in a particular, you know... Demographic. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean that a particular demographic is not empathetic or anything like that. I meant you have people who live just one lifestyle and they never know more. And that, I think, is very factual. I think there's a lot of people like that in the world. Um, and that doesn't make them better, it doesn't make them worse, it just, it just is. What I mean to say is, we gotta break from that. We have to get people to break from that limited world viewpoint to a much bigger world viewpoint. 
And so I was, I was talking about it in very specific condition to how people enter rabbit holes in social media. Mm -hmm. um, meaning that we don't want to be judging anybody just because they look or they think different from us. We have to understand that even they are being constantly fed with information or misinformation for the purpose of manipulation. Yeah, because I think there also is a space in our society as well that we've been very programmed to um, to believe that giving everything up in life is the way to go, is the way, Correct. is the more yeah, humble way to do it. Yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily true. I, I yeah. agree with that. So I, I think we have to understand a couple of things. One is, what if we have to let everything go? Are we, can we do that? And I think this is a very honest question that everybody should try to answer because, because we don't really own anything. A bomb could fall into Bangkok and suddenly everybody's fortunes will dissipate. Can you live without anything? Yeah, I, I, think, think, I think it's it not the having that is the issue either, actually, because I do, I do think that we're here also to experience the most amazing things in life as well. Um, exactly. But I think it's the attachment to those things and the alignment, how if that is your source of validation, then, that, then that's where the issue yeah, lies. Yeah, I was about to get there. Uh, yeah. okay. I was, I was <laughs> planning to get there. I was going to say that, well, it depends on what owns who, who owns what. Do they, do, are you defined by your material things? Or do you define, do you add definition to your material things? Like we, you know, we humans, we, we add definitions to form. We, we create form, you know. Um, we, we perceive two different layers. Um, like, I, I personally believe that we already start defining things even before we're born because I, I am somebody who believes that the soul reincarnates and it takes its prior life experiences in, into its new one. Um, and I, I think that our perceptive abilities start from the families, from our families, from our culture, our societies, our, you know, um, city, state, nation, state, whatever that media tells us. Um, and that's just a part of it. You know, and then we get our religious backing from, be, you know, behind that, whether it's atheism or whether it's hardcore religion, this belief that God is a man up on heaven deciding certain things or, um, or that there is no God, but still you, you've got your karma and your dharma to work up and into. So all of these things, you know, by the time we finally get into the sentient layer, layer we already have like five huge filters before our sentience layer and our ability to think perceive by ourselves. And one of the things you may have heard from, um, I think the Zen koan is to kill the Buddha. Well, you gotta kill your past life too. You have to be able to kill all your prior perceptive abil abilities or your, your prior preconditions to be able to see the world in you. And that is a very important part of, you know, of taking over your personal sovereignty as well. It doesn't mean that you are going to disavow yourself from your past or disavow and, and suddenly turn on to your past. No, it, 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 it definitely does not mean that. It just means that you're able to see beyond that. It just means that you're having a perspective that is above that, you know, you overcame it. It doesn't mean that, oh, now my, like my past sucks. Oh, it's, it's, we, we have to give up stuff. We can't be a, a millionaire anymore or anything. No, 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 be yourself. That's the most important thing. Be true to yourself. That's the other most important thing. And the most important thing is how you make your earnings. It's not coming from hurting others. And 
whatever knowledge, wisdom you get from your life, you share that back into your community. And I think these, if you take these things, then you're not only being sovereign, but you're bringing that back. So being a yogi running away, no, that's not, that's not something I, I, I'm with you over there. In today's world, especially in today's misinformation, manipulated world that we live in, it's more important than ever for us to be present, especially if you have a strong spiritual practice and to share that with others so that they too can build themselves to keep passing that forward and passing that on. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, I think there are people that are called, you know, to this, um, to, to this kind of monk life, I guess it, it would be. Um, but it doesn't, um, and if you're called to that, then you're called to that. But it's, I think we all have different functions in the world. And yeah. something interesting, one of my teachers, Guru Ratana, talks about. Um, mm. She was talking about, because she obviously trained with Yogi Bhajan in the 70s and 80s. And she said, yeah. you know, that at that time, the consciousness was so dense, the atmosphere was so dense that, you know, they would, I mean, they'd be practicing for like six or seven hours a day um, yes. to really shift this consciousness. And what she said was what's interesting is the activation that it used to take them, say in the 80s, three hours to reach, it now takes 30 minutes. Um, right. because isn't that, isn't that incredible because the the we often think we look around at our world right now and we're just like oh my god this is this could be the darkest time that's that we've ever lived you know but because we see so we do see the effects of darkness around us with war yeah. and um, poverty and you know lots of different things but in actual fact you know, that time, as she says in the 80s, that was really, that, that darkness is always, that we're witnessing now has always been there. But thank yeah. God for these amazing committed yogis and the prayer warriors that have shifted that consciousness because it's, now we're seeing it on the surface because it's come up to be alchemized and released and oh. healed, you know? So I was just like, when she said that about, um, you know, it took th three hours to get the same um activation as in 30 minutes now we can see that you know this this density is shifting and we are moving towards a, a more ascended space well i definitely don't disagree with guru ratna but i also think that it depends on where we are in terms of the fictional world we're in it depends which community and which society we're we're servicing at that point I, I think if you were to pick somebody who have been doing drugs um, for you know the last five, six years of their lives, I'm sure it's gonna take a lot more than 30 minutes for them to start procession. Maybe, maybe the two or three hour point still. I'm pretty sure if you go to some place like in the war zone, um, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with Guru Ratana here. I'm, uh, I, 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 she may be just talking about like a normal situation. She was, she was I think, referring more as a collective consciousness rather than yeah. just rather than an individual consciousness. Correct, yes. But even, even in a collective consciousness sort of way, like if, you, if we were to go to Yemen, I think, and, and do this, I think we would find it very much more tough for people to get away from that reality of war zone and into themselves. And I think sometimes, I mean, if I'm being, um, if I'm being straight with you, sometimes I, I wonder if our realities is brought by bringing darkness elsewhere. And, and I don't know, I don't know. 
I, I'm just going to say that. But sometimes I do wonder that. Um, and, and, and yeah. But I think Guru Ratana... You I, mean right? in terms of like duality and polarity, that if, you know, we've shifted darkness in one space, then it needs to be, then it's going to appear somewhere else? Correct, correct. But I, I also wonder, um, I, but I also agree that we are, a lot more people today are well-versed in, in, into wanting or desiring something light. And when they experience it, they kind of come into it more grounded than they may have earlier. And I think a lot of that does come with information. As we said, there are rabbit holes, but there's also so much more there. Because I've been teaching for 11 years, and I can tell you in the last two years especially, people are much more open to chanting. Um, yeah. I, I, I chant on almost every session. You've come to a couple of my sessions. You know yeah. that I just go straight in. Um, there's, there's, I mean, newbie or no newbie, we just go straight in. And I've found that people are much more open to, I don't know if I'm attracting them, you know, different people, but from my experience, yes, that's very true. It used to take, you know, four minutes of chanting and everyone used to be uncomfortable. And now we go on for 20, 30 minutes and everyone's just up there, amazing, you know. Um, so maybe I feel something, you know, maybe being younger, not having done that in the 80s, not knowing her situation. Um, but I definitely agree with her, but I also have other wonders on top of that that, that I don't know. Yeah, if that's um, the, the experience that, that we're, we're having. Yeah. But um, right. I think as well, what is, I've definitely noticed as well in the last, I would say in the last 10 years, but definitely in the last five years, that it really has, um, you know, there has been a huge awakening and people right. are sort of, desiring to to reconnect with themselves and are seeing that way forward and um you know i think that it's become more of a necessity than just a nicety anymore you know the and and we need more people to be sovereign um like whether even collectively we need more people to realize that hey you know i won't be manipulated anymore i won't be sold anymore i won't be just a piece of a pawn anymore and to remove themselves from this, this, this one fiction into something, and, and not to jump into. And this is something that you know we've seen happen in the 70s, 80s, even today, where people enter cults or cult-like figures. They 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 deify somebody else. You 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 won't get yeah. your sovereignty having given yourself from one thing. Maybe it was you know. The, the feet of capitalism that you were bowing to or the feet of you know some political figure and you take that and you just go and bow it to some new spiritual figure you, it's it's not going to be different if you're still in that cycle you're not it you're, you've not found it the, the cycle ends when you can respect various people and institutions for being how they are and still hold on to yourself steadfast knowing and being comfortable in your own truth and being able to communicate that truth with compassion and understanding for the people around you. It's not easy, it's a day-to-day -day thing, but it's yeah. there, it's there and it's possible. I think possible. it has a lot to do with the, the placement where you place the glory, right? Yeah. It's like looking for divinity in another person 
um, yes. you know, or, or even a system. I think um, we look for divinity in the healthcare system or the yes. government systems of government and things like that. And yeah. that's actually really not where our power lies. And it's yeah. where our personal power lies. It's where, you know, it's, we're, we're actually handing over um, our personal power to, that's to other people. Right. I also think that when a lot of individuals work together, we can bring change. Um, and, and I'm not talking political change, like, oh, no. let's you know, go here and kill half the people. I'm talking something very small, and I'd like to give one example, if mm. I may. All right. I just read in the news today, in fact, that in Canada, now, um, I think the government is going to subsidize all feminine products for women on their periods. Mm -hmm. And I found that so lovely, because shit, man, half the world has to pay for something that is natural for their bodies to come. Why the hell are we not taking care of that to begin with as a community? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like why, I, I bet you. My response you know, to that is why, if you, why has it taken so long? But at the same time, it started somewhere. You know, wh whether it was gay marriage, um, the ability for two people in love to, li to live together, you know, no matter what their sexuality, you know, for, for things like these, these take collective action and they take a long time, a long, long time to enter people's psyche who've been taught otherwise, right? Yeah, well, I think it's the deconditioning. I think it's the, you know, as you said, we, we grow up in these different systems of indoctrination, whether it be in our family, our school, our religious background, and even just experiences as we move through the world. And I think that that is part of the practice of, of reclaiming your sovereignty, is being able right. to assess the things that, are they actually me, or are they my pre-programmed, my pre-programming? Is that exactly. uh, what I've aligned to? Exactly, and th and that's the that's the thing that starts to come with the daily practice, and even things like when you when you know you don't know something, you start to admit, yeah, I, I don't know it, but I do wonder it, I do think about it, I do, you know, think of the opposite too, the polar opposite, um, holding two different opinions at the same time, and realizing that they both are true, even though they're politically opposite from each other. And that happens. And that happens when you are in control of your own space. You don't have to pick one side over the other. You can see both or any perspective and be like, huh, I can see the truth in that and I can see the truth in the other one. And you, know, and you can choose whether you want to be a part of that thing necessarily because sometimes you know politics or things it, it's like a football game you don't have to necessarily involve yourself in it uh, into the game but you can worry about like real life issues like in this case you know about you know women's health um, mm -hmm. uh, or you can worry about things like love or, or, or personal sovereignty like allowing somebody to take care of their own health or allowing uh, somebody to take care of the poor, feed them, bathe them if they want to, you know, and, and or, or even on the other side of the coin, allowing an asshole to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is, it is what it is. Not everybody is good. Even I'm not good all the time. 
You know, I don't think you're going to be great all the time. It's I don't know about that. No, I'm kidding. Of course In I'm not. <laughs> we course. try to keep up. We do our best to keep up. But hey, sometimes, sometimes we let go. And sometimes something triggers us and we fall. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we lose ourselves. And, and, that's, and that's okay, you know. Um, you, you can't be too tough on yourself for being a human being. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, recognizing that we are, you know, all on a journey and um, having compassion to be able to hold space for somebody else's journey as well and recognizing that it's not your own rather than yeah. stepping into this self-righteous space that we've got it all figured out and my way is the only way. I think that that is a really dangerous yeah. space to step yes, into. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're heading now into 2021. This is like November already and, and a few, six, in like five weeks, I think it's going to be the new year. And um, 2021 is coming up, and it's going to be an interesting year too because, you know, you've got we've we've still got the COVID running. Um, we we've got vaccines, I think, on the way right now. Um, but this battle for for ourselves and for our soul never ends. It it it's always going to be continuing, whether or not we have COVID. I think COVID's been a time that, if you really hit pause and really spend the time to reflect, you would find yourself in a different space. And you know? so how, what do you think you're taking out of this year, out of 2020? Like, how did the shutdown period impact your day-to-day -day life? And um, what have you learned from this? What has really brought you joy during this time that you're going to be taking into 2021 as we sort of move out of this lockdown period? I think, I think being in this lockdown really helped me discover um, that we can't afford to sit around and do nothing. Um, by that I mean we have to really develop ourselves up and up and up. And, and my own personal practice became much deeper, much stronger, much more powerful. Um, and that started reflecting in, in the way I started leading class and teaching class. Um, and as we come to the end of it, I start wondering, because there was a few things also with with, with with um, like more Me Too scandals and many other things happening at the same time, that I realized that, well, you know, at least unique and staying in the space, the city of Bangkok, I feel like I wanna start a teacher training program that allows people to work on their own space and work on themselves, bringing in a lot of this yoga and breath and chanting movements into a set or sequence that works for each person in their own way, like a teacher training that helps people discover their own way rather than impose a way of uh, onto them. And, and it's something that I am currently working on, although I have nothing um, to come out yet, but I hope by middle of next year to be able to, to have something um, that that I can bring to this wonderful city I grew up in, you know, and and, and give a pathway to people who might be looking at, you know, because you can realize that, yeah, you know, I'm being sold all the time, I'm being manipulated all the time, but then what? What do I do next? And I hope to have this out so that people who are looking out for something like this or vibrating with something like this, that this program can serve them. And, and yeah. not just serve them, you know, and allow them to choose too if they want to push it 
not push it, but, but build themselves to the point where they can also share this with others, or whether they just want to keep it for themselves and let them, and let them go down their own pathway. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds really amazing. And um, so that's a fantastic evolution out of lockdown. That's such a positive yeah. thing to be able to birth and bring into the world. So I look forward to hearing more about that. And yeah. um, so tell us as well, like who have been some of your major influences and sources of inspiration in your life? Either public wow. figures or, um, you know, different yogis or even in your family life. I'm going to start with family, man. My grandfather, he moved here from, from what is today Pakistan to, to Thailand, um, you know, with, with nothing. Um, they, his family decided to stay in Pakistan because they thought that, well, they were told by their neighbors that, hey, your dad's a, a, you know, a vet. And being an animal doctor in that period was quite something because, you know, yeah. a lot of the industry was, you, you needed a vet, whether you had cows or horses or whatever. Um, and they, their house was burned down. They basically left Pakistan to India with nothing. And when they got there, my grandfather and his younger brother came to Bangkok. I think his elder brother went to Calcutta. And my grandfather ended up living here, working with his brother-in-law. The whole reason they came here was because one of his brother-in-laws, uh, one of his sisters was married here. So he started a business with his brother-in-law and built something really amazing. It, 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 it was a company, I mean, it was the same business that I could not work in. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away anything from what he did as, an, as a migrant to this country, you know, yeah. without knowledge of the language, without knowledge of anything, to build a business that, that allows me to live every single day. So yeah, he's a hero of mine, I look up to him. And yeah, I, I think this generation, there's so day, much. Day, day. He takes each tension day to day, and when he sleeps at night, he doesn't, when he wakes up the next day, he doesn't carry the tension of yesterday with him. Wow. And, That's so and, cool. So, so I, started I started with him. him. You know, and, and it, since I started getting into, into this field of yoga, like, there, there's been three major influences for me. Um, one is Dr. Rajiv. He, he lives in Chandigarh. He is so knowledgeable. He's a medical doctor turned yogi who basically, if you go to him with problems, he, he tells you straight up that the medicines are only there to alleviate. When, when I was having pain, the medicines is to alleviate, to give you time to do something else, you know? So you use a medicine, you know, whether it's Tylenol or whatever, to, to stop the symptoms so that you can go and take care of the root cause. That's how he views medicine. And his yoga is next level, because I have a cracked back, he taught me what to do, my sequence of stretches, a lot of it is influenced by him, maybe because he had a slip disc as well, so I could learn from him. And um, Sukhmandar Singh, he's based in Monterey, he's a former 3HO guy, I think, I don't know when he left, but the chants that, that he leads are absolutely incredible. And the last, but probably the most powerful of these three men is George Craig McMillian or Kirantana. This man went from being a Khalsa Sikh to, you know, himself. He, he's somebody that I really admire, I respect. I'm a practicing Sikh, he's no longer, but I feel sometimes I've learned more about Sikhi, Sikhi which is the teachings of Guru Nanak from him 
because he was able to take what he learned while being Sikh and realizing that, well, this is not really my path, but I learned so much. He has such respect for the path of Sikhi and Kundalini. Um, a lot of how I view um, or I approach classes, I can say, how I approach classes comes from having been around his classes um, and seeing how he approaches it with so much humility and respect for the source, which is, you know, everything, right? He has so much grounding, so much grounding, that by the time you go on a spiritual journey with him and you come back, whatever it is you do with the chants or the breath, you don't come back feeling high necessarily. Yes, you feel elevated, but you also feel so grounded and stuck to earth. And, and I would say maybe, yeah, he's been maybe the biggest influence on how I run my class alongside Dr. G. Wow, wow. What is his book called? Is it The Man Who Saw, what is it, The Man Who Saw the, the Face of God? Something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic read because uh, when he talks about meeting Jesus in there, it's not the Jesus you think you're meeting. And having read the Bible myself, I mean, I read the Bible before I read the Guru Granth Sahib, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, right? In seventh and eighth grade, we had to do Bible classes at the seven-day Adventist school. And then, uh, and then you went to the Gurudwara on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but I never understood anything in Gurudwara. Uh, it it was a lot of it, it a lot of it wasn't explained very well. Um, I think I think with the modern people like Sikh explanations, there's basics of Sikhi on on YouTube, and there's this one guy. I think his name is Satnam Singh. I'm, I'm pretty sure his name is Satnam Singh. But he has a channel on YouTube called Nanak Nam. That mm -hmm. channel, oh my God, the way he teaches, it is. It is, he, he focuses on English a lot, but he is so on point and so much perspective as to how he can explain certain verses and explain certain parts and tuks in, in the Guru Granth Sahib that I love watching his channels. Whenever he releases something, I think within 24 hours, I will go and you know make sure I make time to watch it. Uh, very, like, I, I, I really do love his, his um, YouTube a lot. Well, I think that that is that is the age like that we're moving into as well as it's much more about personal experience with the divine whereas I think previously like I know when I was younger as well it was very much about like this is what it says in the Bible this is what you do and you don't do but it wasn't about personal experience whereas I think now it's it's really about invoking that personal experience um, yeah. Through the through the divine scriptures, you know. Correct. 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 Yeah. Correct. yeah. Absolutely. So, before we wrap up, what is a practical um, practice or tip that you can leave our listeners with that they can begin to implement today? You know what? That's a fantastic question, and my mind went straight to one thing. Uh, but before I say it, I'm going to explain it. I think I think physically you can find stretching your body almost any book, any YouTube video, you can find that. Um, chanting requires, chanting alone, you're not really gonna feel it, so you should find a group. But one thing that people don't really do, um, at least from what I ask around people, and I think that anybody can, and I think everybody should do it, is to really work out your pranic self, your lungs. So whatever it is you do, if you're already practicing spiritual practices, 
you got to bring in your prana. You cannot skip that. And you've got to do a lot of breath of fire. That's going to really work out your lungs. That's really going to strengthen your lungs. You know, it's going to increase your breathing capacity. It's, it's, it's so important. And it's so rarely done by people. Build it up. Work it out so that you can do 11 minutes of it when you want to. But try to keep a daily practice of three to five minutes, you know, of breath of fire every day. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's um, that's great advice, actually, because I think the breath, um, bringing breath into your practice just really clears out any of the stagnation. It really moves and shifts your energy in a, in a very powerful way that other practices do not, I think. Say, say you're like you're into Hatha yoga and you spend a lot of time in, in downward facing dog. Try adding, you know, Kapal Bhati or breath of fire one minute while you're while you're holding downward dog and. Um, try doing that in various steps of your way, you know, and you're in this posture, add breath of fire into it for 30 seconds. See how that makes you feel, because that just clears up your entire nervous system of thoughts, of anything that you might be holding on to. You get that perspective. It's so important, and, and it's really something I can't stop emphasizing. Amazing, amazing. Apart from YouTube, where can our listeners find you if they'd like to know more about your work? Um, you know what? Instagram There's two or places Facebook. to find me. One is you can go to www.hipsteryogi.com. That's an old blog of mine. Um, there's a lot of raw pieces that I've written out way back when. I haven't maybe written a blog post in a couple of years, but that's all right. You'll, you'll, you'll learn about me a little bit over there. But if you really want to follow me, Instagram is the best. Um, Instagram.com backslash hipsteryogi or just look for hipsteryogi. It's one word hipster yogi yes i know the name is funny yes it's ironic because you know i i'm not a hipster at all really i don't think but i thought it was really ironic that i don't you know do any of those hipster stuff and i take that name which actually would make me a hipster yogi wouldn't it because hipsters love irony And really, that was a thought process when I was like, all right, I'm taking that. <laughs> I don't know. I think you hang out at a lot of coffee shops on Tong Lor. I think that qualifies you as a hipster. No, hipster. I actually don't hang out at any coffee shop in Tong Lor. My favorite coffee shop is, um, is uh, it's, it's near my house. It's called Zed Cafe. They, they make my coffee just the way I like it. And the other one I like these days is a street side coffee shop in, in Hoi Pa, the area. Oh, I gotta send you photos of that. The guy makes such good coffee, and it's literally his roadside shop, but he uses the best coffee beans. I love it. Now, Raj, before we close, is there anything that um, you have on your heart that you'd really like to share that I haven't asked you about yet? Mm, I think you covered a lot of things. Yeah, we've covered wow. a lot. You know what? If you feel, if somebody listening to this feels like you vibe with what I'm saying and, and you feel like you could help me add on to something, or you feel like I could help you with something, definitely get in touch. I would love to be in touch with anybody and everybody who feels the same thing about personal sovereignty and, and wants to you know, get people out. Maybe I'm missing an ingredient in this podcast. I would love to know. I, I, I'd love to know everything, good, bad, otherwise. Um, and you know, I, I feel like it's so important, um, especially now, that if, you, if we're vibing the same way, that we get connected. And so if you listen to this and you, you feel like you vibe, man, just get in touch. I would love that. Amazing. Amazing. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me, Raj. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. And thanks for a great conversation, as always. I look forward to seeing you um, at Sky Yoga, which is on Sukhumvit Soy 24, and um, every Monday. I look forward to seeing you next time I'm in Bangkok. Yes, likewise. Uh, even if you don't, even if you're in town on a different day, you know, maybe we can meet up. That would be nice. Done, done. All right, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for this podcast. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests' insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.